Good morning, CBC. Welcome. Welcome to worship. Uh, welcome to CBC this morning. Last. Uh, he rose again from the grave and finished the work um, so that we can sing a song like this where he calls us to come to him so he can embrace us. Um, and so I'd ask that you stand with me now and, and let's sing this with everything we have to the Lord.
may be seated. Scripture says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so we come here today to uh, gather and bless God for all the ways in which He has uh, been at work in our lives through Christ Jesus our Lord. I trust that's why you're here joining me in that. If you are a guest this morning or you are newer to this congregation, I want to invite you to uh, let us know that you're here. Uh, you can do that via email at cypressbible at gmail.com or uh text us at 409-203-6195. We just appreciate hearing from you, letting us know that you're here, or you might have a question uh, that uh, we can answer, and that is a way to connect with us. Uh, one of the, uh, the major theme that we're going to look at in Scripture this morning is idolatry, and so I invite you to turn your attention to the screens as our Kids Life Ministry uh, has a message on that subject for us. Looking for the next big thing in pop culture? Everyone worships something. We here at Idol America have every idol you've been dreaming of. We specialized in all the latest idols, worshipped and adored by all. First and foremost, entertainment is king. For the adults, we have unbelievable bargains on 65-inch, 70-inch, even 100-inch big screen smart TVs. Big screen's not for you? Whether you're on the couch or on the go, we have all the latest smartphones and tablets. Share if you want to. But why sit and awkwardly talk with your family when each of you can text or watch your favorite movies or YouTube videos by yourself? But of course you don't just have to watch, you can be part of the action. We have every gaming system, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, virtual reality. If it's a smart device, we have it. No need to develop your own smarts, let your devices do everything for you. Don't waste time developing relationships with friends and family. Create an avatar and live your best life ever. Be the person you want to be with none of the work. So whatever idol is most important to you, we have it. At Idol America, we have the next latest and greatest idol. You give us your money and we will fill all your idol time. We interrupt this programming with an emergency broadcast message. Warning, warning. Beauty, fame, comfort, entertainment, gaming, Money, popularity, social media, pop culture, luxury, pleasure. Have any of these things reached the level of an idol in your life? Run from idols. The Apostle Paul warned us to run from idols. Idols are anything we put before God. Whatever you make more important than God is an idol. We are all tempted to spend more time and focus on idols than God. Anything can become an idol. We have to guard against anything taking the place of God in our lives. When a good thing becomes the main thing, it becomes a thing that can destroy our lives. This is idol worship. We can make idols out of trying to be beautiful, rich, and famous. We can make an idol out of entertainment like TV, movies, music, and sports. We can make an idol out of technology like phones, TV, and gaming. Any of these things can become idols. Idols tempt us, promising us pleasure and good feelings. But idols only give temporary feelings and never satisfy us. Idols addict us 
to distractions, disconnections, popularity, pride, power, and appearances. A never-ending pursuit of trying to fill ourselves. These things are empty. They are nothing. Only Jesus gives us what we need. Only Jesus keeps us going. Only Jesus cares about what is best for us. Idols only want our time and money and leave us empty and pull us away from the one who can truly help us, God. So while entertainment, money, or technology are not bad in and of themselves, if we keep wanting more and more and put these things before our time with God, we are worshiping idols. These idols are temporary. God and Jesus are eternal. As we'll uh, continue to see this morning, there's an important connection between our identifying with Christ and uh, turning from idols. Uh, we've had the privilege uh, over the last couple of weeks and this week and next week as well to in each service uh, witness the public identification of someone uh, with Jesus through baptism. And uh, in our previous service this morning, uh, Michelle Perry, wife and mom, uh, did so identifying publicly with Christ in this service. Uh, we're looking forward to witnessing yet another uh, person doing just exactly that. So I ask you to turn your attention to the baptistry now. Morning. When Jesus left this earth, his instructions were very clear. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Baptism is for those who have believed in Christ, a way for them to publicly identify with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so today in this service, Samuel Phillips is declaring his faith in Christ. You can come on in, Samuel. Samuel is being baptized by his father, Mark. Um, and as many of y'all will know, the Phillips are seeking God's will for them as they will be serving as uh, missionaries in Thailand. And even in this very uncertain times, um, they are still seeking his will and continue to be served faithfully. And so we're so glad they can be here today. Uh, Mark is going to be reading uh, Samuel's testimony. So Samuel, you can step right there. Mark, you can come right here. This is from Samuel. When I was five or six years old, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. I always went to church with my family, and I learned about God at home. I know Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I like to read my Bible and devotional and pray to God. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 23:5 because it reminds me that God loves me so much my cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Thanks, Mark. I got to have the privilege of walking with Samuel through our baptism classes last year before everything got closed down. And so it's so exciting to hear Samuel's story and hear about his faith in Jesus. And so uh, I want to go ahead and uh, I want the congregation to respond uh, to the following charge with, I do. Um, as part of this local body of believers, do you agree to encourage this baptism candidate as they follow Jesus and to invest in them and pray for them as God gives you the opportunity? I have a few questions for Samuel. Um, Samuel, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and has given you eternal life? I do. Do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? I do. Awesome. Mark, go ahead and baptize Samuel.
and a voice from heaven came from above and said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Then upon this confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's thank God for this special day, this special celebration, uh, celebration of Samuel's faith. God, we thank you so much uh, for those who you have called, uh, for those that you are leading closer into your mission and your vision for their lives. And so we thank you that we can celebrate uh, the declaration of this faith in Jesus that we have. And we just pray for those who are also seeking you, uh, that you might continue to lead them, um, help them pursue you and put you first above everything else, God. Um, thank you for your son for the gift of salvation through Jesus. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So this week uh, I read a few different studies about safety equipment, and hopefully you'll understand why in a few moments. Uh, in one of those studies that I read, researchers um, found that uh, wearing a bicycle helmet caused adults to uh, increase their risk-taking. So they had some uh, uh, folks with bicycle helmets and those without and watched how they rode their bike. And those with bicycle helmets took way more chances, uh, went faster, took curves, all the rest of it. What the other part of that study was that they found that adults took more risks when wearing a bicycle helmet, even if they weren't riding a bicycle. So they had them play gambling games. And those with bicycle helmets, while they're playing a gambling game, imagine how silly they look took way more risks in gambling than those without the helmet. It, it, it was very strange. Um, so they felt, when wearing a bicycle helmet, whatever they were doing, they felt more protected. So they bet more, rode faster, took curves, whatever. Another study, very different study, found the very same thing happened with seat belts. So they got a bunch of subjects together uh, in go-karts uh, on a track, and the drivers who buckled up uh, drove faster, tailgated the carts in front of them, changed lanes high speed, braked later when approaching obstacles, much like Houston traffic altogether. Uh, now, the results of these studies, not, it's, a, it's not that you should avoid safety equipment, not at all. What it, it just was showing that you feel protected, and when you feel more protected, it inspires recklessness, reckless behavior. Now, that same thing can happen in your spiritual life, and I uh, hope to point that out to you in just a moment. Uh, 
Now, since September, we've been studying this letter, 1 Corinthians, from the Apostle Paul to the believers, the church in Corinth. Corinth was a world-class city in the Roman Empire and a population of about 700,000 people. It was a melting pot of ethnicities and religions, and people flocked to Corinth from all over the empire for the business and the sports and education and art and wealth and sex and philosophy and culture. The Apostle Paul arrived about 50 AD and began to preach the good news about Jesus. Many people believed a church was formed. And Paul spent the next 18 months teaching these people about how to follow Jesus and building up the church. And then he left, went to other cities to plant churches. And over the next few years, the Corinthian church developed into quite a mess. Uh, They struggled. There was conflict and division in the church. There was sexual sin in the church. There was doctrinal error and selfishness and spiritual pride. And, And they got way more concerned about conforming to their culture than they did about preaching the gospel. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct those problems. That's our series as we go verse by verse through this. There's a lot for us to learn uh, in this letter uh, because the same problems that plague the Corinthian church uh, plague the American church today. So we pick up our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, and here Paul warns the Corinthians about making the same mistakes that Israel made thousands of years before. So let me start reading with verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, you don't have to know much uh, Old Testament history to recognize that Paul's talking here about the Exodus. Uh, that is when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and God rescued them, sent the deliverer Moses to lead his people out of slavery and to the land of promise. God guided them through the wilderness with a a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire at night. And uh, when Pharaoh's army came after them to get them, God parted the Red Sea and Israel walked across on dry ground and then God brought the sea down, destroying Pharaoh's army. They followed, uh, Israel did, they followed uh, Moses, their leader, toward the land of promise through the wilderness and God fed them with this incredible miracle uh, food of manna and he brought water out of a rock in the desert places to give them something to drink drink. And so all of Israel, Paul's reminding us here, all of Israel experienced the very presence of God, the provision of God, the protection of God. In other words, Israel, all of them were wearing bike helmets and seat belts and all the safety equipment you could possibly ever want. They were protected. They felt protected. But most of them displeased God and died in the desert. Why? Well, they had this overconfident attitude that God is with us, so we can do whatever we want. They, they were overconfident in this safety, this protection that God had displayed to them. And this is the very thing that Paul has been warning the Corinthian Christians about through the first nine chapters of this letter. Uh, it's this brashness that the people of Corinth had that said, well, I'm free in Christ, and so I can live however I want to live. And they did things like take other brothers and sisters in Christ to court. They were suing each other over a variety of issues. 
They were arguing over which preacher and teacher was best. I like Paul best. I like Apollos best. They argued with one another about those kinds of things. They were proud. They were proud of the fact that one of their church members was sleeping with his stepmother. And they boasted about that. Uh, They believed, like their whole culture did, they believed that sex with a prostitute was not a moral issue. It was just a biological function, no problem. And, And so they thought that since they identified with Jesus and they had been baptized and they took communion, that they were free to live this way and that's what paul is addressing here and he says hey that didn't work out so well for israel and it's not going to work out for you either the reality is that you can have all the same blessings from god as israel did as corinth did you can have all the same blessings from god but if your heart lusts after the wrong things then you will fall when you're not satisfied with what god has provided and you look to satisfy that elsewhere then it's deadly And so Paul says, learn from this. He tells that to the Corinthians. He's telling us today, learn from this. This is an example. This is is what happens when you're controlled by cravings rather than by the Spirit of God. This is what happens when you use God's grace as an excuse to live sinfully. So in the verses to come, Paul identifies these kinds of desires as idolatry. And so here are three questions that the text uh, raises, answers. Number one, what is idolatry? Number two, how do I escape it? And number three, why is idolatry so dangerous? So that's what our text is about today. Um, The first mission trip I took to Asia, um, uh, my team, we stopped off in a city on our way to a more rural area, and we were touring that city a little bit, and we saw a temple um, that um, was kind of a tourist attraction, but also a temple. And so the uh, three of us went inside, me and two of my team members, and uh, it was filled with incense. There were statues and images all around all the walls there. There were tourists uh, in there, like us. Uh, we weren't supposed to take pictures, but some people were because they're Americans, you know how that goes. And then um, there, were so, there were some people who were worshiping. They were making offerings to the gods or goddesses or whatever. We were not in there but a, a moment, and one of my team members turned and said, we've got to get out of here. I said, what, what's the matter? He said, don't you feel the oppression, the darkness, the demonic activity? And, and actually at that very moment, I was looking at some of those people who were worshiping and, and uh, offering to their gods and thinking with how sad it was in my heart that they did not know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and how much we must proclaim that. But, but this, this guy was overcome with the darkness, and, and without waiting, like we weren't about to leave at that moment and so he just ran out without us and we went out to to find him a few moments later and he had been overwhelmed with a sense of demonic activity and darkness now when i mention the word idol or idolatry that's probably the image that comes into your mind my mind Uh, it is someone or some people bowing down or making offerings to statues to images that's our, our thought of idolatry But uh, we need to broaden that because as hundreds of years ago, the theologian John Calvin said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. So the reality is man, woman, child, young person, we don't need to make an image to have an idol. Our hearts are perpetually, constantly creating these things that are idols in our lives uh, in all kinds of ways. Uh, Now notice, uh, Paul next points out some of the idols in Israel's history as we continue in chapter 10. Do not be idolaters as some of them were 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Uh, I want to point out to you, in this passage, Paul points out four different events in Israel's past where they engaged in idolatry. It's all idolatry, but different expressions of it in their past. So I'm going to look at each one of them briefly for you. The first is pagan revelry. What is that? That's about the time when Moses went up to the mountaintop to meet with God, receive the law of God, and the people got tired of waiting. They thought he took too long. And they said, we don't know what's happened to this rascal Moses. He's probably dead up there. So we need to have another leader. We need to have another God. And so they took off their golden jewelry. They melted it down, made a calf, a golden calf. And they said, this is the God who saved us from slavery. And what they did, this is Exodus chapter 32, they feasted. They celebrated, they partied, they overindulged in honor of this calf that they had made. And there was probably some sexual activity going on as well. So their attention that belonged to the Lord, the allegiance that belonged to the Lord, they gave to something else. And Paul says, that's, that pagan revelry, that's idolatry. The, the next example is sexual immorality. This refers to the time when the men of Israel saw some women from another country, a, a pagan f- followers of, of other gods, and they said, these uh, women are somebody we want to go with. And so Numbers 25, they uh, had sex with these women. Not only did they have a sexual relationship with these women uh, who worshiped false gods, but the women said, hey, you need to come with us. We have some great gods over here. We should worship those gods. You should join us. And so the men of Israel went and feasted and celebrated and honored these false gods these these pagan deities and so the men of israel uh, had sexual desires that were stronger than their desire to honor god paul says that's idolatry third example is testing the lord and now israel tested god uh, numerous times it's spelled out for us in the old testament uh one in particular is exodus chapter 17 where uh, the people of israel questioned the goodness of god uh they uh they had some bad circumstances going on in their life and 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 so they said that's proof god doesn't he's absent from us because if the lord was on our side then this would not have happened to us and frankly This is a response I hear and see a lot from people who claim to follow Jesus. Some of them you think they're very strong Christians, and then something horrible happens in their life, some very traumatic circumstances, and and, and sometimes those kinds of people say, God has abandoned me. He's not here. If God really was in my life, this would not have happened. And so like Israel, that can be a form of idolatry. This need to have a pleasing life becomes greater than their need to please God. That's called testing the Lord. And then third is, I mean the fourth rather, is grumbling. There's grumbling. Now there's a lot of grumbling. Multiple times God's people complained during the Exodus. They grumbled about the lack of food. They grumbled about the lack of water. They grumbled about how hard the trip was, difficult it was. They grumbled about the leaders that God gave them, complained about them. And then God miraculously provides food in the desert. I mean, it's a desert. God brings food. They don't, all they have to do is go collect it. And they complained that there was a lack of variety in the food and a lack of meat. And so they grumbled about that. Uh, Numbers chapter 11. And so their opinion about what was best and fair and right uh, was stronger than their trust in God and his wisdom and timing. Paul says that's idolatry. So, so let's define it then. Well, answer that question. What is idolatry? An idol is anything we look to for happiness, meaning, and identity more than God. And so uh, 
Idols are created things that we desire above the Creator. Idols can be people. They can be experiences. They can be possessions. They can be achievements. And some examples of good things that easily become idols in our lives, let me mention a few. The longing for romance can become an idol. Uh, the craving for financial security can be an idol. The, the need for approval can be an idol. The desire for success can be an idol. Uh, any any passion that you have that's a controlling passion, that becomes an ultimate passion, even if it's for good things, is idolatry. So that can be a passion for travel or vehicles or sports or work or fitness or social media followers or knowledge or independence or fame or control or gardening or gaming or food or getting married, having children. When any of those kinds of things become ultimate things, that's idolatry. And if you think about it, and I want you to, uh, behind every sinful thing that you do, there's an idol. If you, if you parse it through, you think about it hard enough, there's an idol. because that's, Whatever it is that you look to for happiness, meaning identity, is what shapes your impulses and your behaviors. And so when your heart is captured by something and you think, if I just got that, if I just experienced this, if I, if I just did this or was with her or him, then I would be much happier. Well, that desire influences your choices, leading to sin. Stephen Um writes this, he says, whenever we take a created thing and use it to meet a need or fulfill a desire that only the Creator can ultimately fulfill, we're committing idolatry. So when we use food or substances or sex to fulfill, our numb, fulfill or numb our deep desires, we're engaging in idolatry. And, and idolatry really um, ultimately spoils life because we're not able to enjoy things as they were created to be and actually are because god created things for our enjoyment but we can turn them into idols easily so uh, that's the first question the second question is how do i escape idolatry verse 11 these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of ages has come so if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and god is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I want to affirm again that the Old Testament is very important for our lives. Um, that history, the old, that's why I spend half the time preaching in the New Testament, half the time in the Old Testament. We need that, that background, that history, to help us avoid making the same mistakes. And all the blessings that God poured out on Israel caused them to be overconfident, prideful and fall into idolatry and that can be our problem too we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in christ jesus and and we can believe the gospel we can symbolically take christ's body and blood through communion we can participate in worship and still be cheating on god with idols and so don't ever think you're above falling i think it's one of the great dangers for somebody who's been a christian for any period of time is this danger of falling you think you're above this or that and that's why the scriptures repeatedly warn us about it um, so uh, it, it's constantly tempting for us to look for meaning and identity and happiness in something else more than god and whether it's a person an experience a possession a feeling or achievement that 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 the temptation is there so how do you escape God is faithful. Well, what's God faithful to do? Is He faithful to banish temptation from your life? No. 
Don't think that's going to happen. No, because temptation is not going to leave in your life. It's going to be all around you. It's going to be all around me, sometimes worse than others. No, that's not what he's faithful to do. Well, is he faithful to beam me up out of temptation to just get me out of this situation? No. Uh, what he is, God is faithful to provide a way for you to endure in temptation, to get through it, or he's faithful for, to, to give you the power not to give in to temptation. Because here's the reality. You are going to face temptation more than you can bear. There are situations you're going to be in the temptation is greater than you can stand, and me as well. And so unless you look to the faithful God, you will cave in. You will crumble. The promise is that God is faithful. In that any temptation, even the overwhelming ones, God provides a way out. God doesn't eliminate temptation. No, it's common to man. But he enables you to stand strong and to pass the test. And he will never put you into a situation where the only choice you have is to sin. So don't believe that lie from Satan. He will never put you in a, temptation, in a situation where the only thing you can do is to sin against God. In fact, I put it this way, we, we talk about, well, there's, there's two things I can do, and one is evil and the other is a little less evil, so pick the lesser of two evils. No! When you're confronted with evil, choose neither one. I believe God always provides a third in multiple ways. And let me put it this way, that uh, how do I escape idolatry? But that God faithfully provides power to endure and evade temptation. Uh, no attraction that you're faced with, no invitation that somebody gives you, no craving, no compulsion you face is stronger than the resources that God has given you. Why? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, the Holy Spirit of God, and you have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. So that's how you escape idolatry. Third question, why is it so dangerous then? Verse 14 to the end of our passage. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No! But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So I need to explain a few things here. One, obviously, right off the top, one important option when you're facing temptation is to flee. Avoid it. Run away. Sugete is the Greek word for flee here, and it is a present imperative. It's an imperative to do, and it's an ongoing reality in your life and in mine. Uh, as you follow Jesus today, you have an ongoing need to escape idolatry, to run away from it. And since you and I have idol-making factories going on in our hearts, making idols of all kinds of things, day in and day out, flee. Flee. Now let me explain to you the very specific situation that Paul is talking to the Corinthian Christians about. Uh, so let me give you a little background. Back in chapter 8, there was a problem about where you bought groceries. Uh, the, Chris, the Christians in Corinth were struggling with where they bought groceries. You see, in Corinth, most if not all the food available was uh, dedicated to 
pagan gods in the temples. And so they would take a portion, let's say it's a portion of an animal, and they would dedicate that to the Lord, and then they would sell, give to market, or eat themselves the rest of the animal or the produce, whatever it was. And so it would be very difficult to find food that hadn't been or you didn't know for sure whether it had been dedicated in a pagan temple or not. And so some Christians, probably most of the Christians, didn't have a single problem with that. No, I'm free in Christ. This is good. I, I know that the, those pagan temples, those foreign, foreign gods aren't real. I, I'm going to eat this. and It's not an issue. But some of the Christians had a real problem with it. They were offended by it. And they didn't think a, a Christian should buy and consume that food. And so in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Hey, listen, you're not better off if you don't eat this food. And you're, you're not worse off if you do. Because all things come from God. But what I don't want you to do is to offend your Christian brother and sister. Uh, you, you might be, feel free in Christ to eat this kind of meat, but don't make somebody else, uh, don't offend them. Don't, don't do it in such a way that, that uh, hurts them. So you don't invite your small group over for dinner and say, I bought this roast on special at Food Demon. I hope everybody enjoys it. So you don't do that, Paul says. That's chapter 8. But now we come to chapter 10, and it's a different food problem. Slightly different. And you need to picture this, because it's, it's pretty significant. You see, back in the Roman Empire, during this period of time, most of the restaurants were actually pagan temples. You went to a temple to eat dinner. Uh, that was when you went out. And see, it was so cool, because not only did they have dinner, they had theater in those temples. These were social places where everybody gathered. You had dinner, you had theater, there was some other pagan worship going on, so dinner and a show, and everybody was happy, and it seemed great. That's the culture. Um, so some Christians in Corinth felt, well, I'm free in Christ. I know these other gods aren't real, so I, I'm, I don't have a problem feasting at this temple. So they would eat at Aphrodite's steak and seafood. They, 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 would, they thought it was no big deal to have dinner at Zeus's pork barbecue. It's like, let's just go there. This is great. Just like before. No problem. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do it. Uh, because what you have there, it's not dinner, it's demonic. What's going on there is not just a social activity, it's a worship event. It's a worship event. You're honoring these other gods simply by being there. And to prove that point, Paul gives a couple of examples in the passage I read. And one of them, the strongest one, I think, is communion is that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, the body and blood of the Lord, representing that, we're remembering the Lord's death until He returns. And so when you're a Christian, that's a very significant act. Uh, when, when you eat and drink, you better do that recognizing what this, what this stands for. You better do that giving praise to God for what He's accomplished in Christ. And if you're indifferent to it, that's pretty dangerous for your spiritual life and actually for your physical health. But imagine this. What if this is Paul's example? What if you've got an unbeliever coming in and they eat and drink at this table? They don't believe a thing, but they eat and drink what represents and remembers the Lord's body. He said, that's dangerous. That's, that's blasphemy. That's not innocent. That's blasphemy. That's wrong. And so uh, for a Christian to participate without taking communion seriously, that's wrong. For an unbeliever to eat and drink the Lord's table is blasphemy. And so Paul's argument is that so even though these idols have no power, when you participate in a pagan feast, you're giving honor to demons. And it's a question of allegiance. So uh, if you claim to follow Christ, you must not connect yourself with, you must not participate in any activity that celebrates demons. And so to answer the question, idolatry is so dangerous because it exposes you to demonic powers and conflicts with your allegiance to Jesus. That's why it's so significant. 
Now here's the issue. We don't face that exact thing today, do we? I am not aware of any restaurants that are pagan temples here in Cyprus or in the greater Houston area. And if you know one, don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. But if I, that's not an issue we face. We, we don't go into a restaurant and like, oh, now we're supporting this. Uh, no, no, that's not an issue for us. What we need to understand is there's, there's a bigger, there, there's a wider principle that we have to be careful of and pay attention to. While that might not be the case, the reality is there might be places you do go, events you participate in, organizations you're attached to or join that are actually spiritually harmful. And you must, by the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, determine if that is something that violates, that, that connects you to uh, something demonic rather than to Jesus. Uh, so the context is very important here. Um, you might reason that, well, I'm free in Christ, so I'm able to do this and there's no danger at all. But in reality, your participation contradicts your spiritual allegiance and alignment with the Lord God. So Paul's overall issue is to call us to run from idolatry by running to Jesus. Since our hearts are perpetual idol-making factories, uh, we need to run from those, and we do that by running toward Jesus, closer and closer to Him. Now the, the question is, well, what does that look like in my life today? What does it mean for me to run to Jesus? It's pretty hard for us to individually identify idols. Like I can't say, oh, the idolatry here is what we're all victim to. No, there's probably very different idols in our lives that we need to run from. But I do know that Jesus and running to him is the answer to whatever idolatry might be ensnaring you in your life. So let me give you three very practical, brief ways to avoid idolatry and run to Jesus. There are more ways than this, but I'm just going to give you three. One is gratitude. Gratitude. Thank God for everything. That's so key. Bless every meal in Jesus' name. Uh, Whether you made it, whether somebody else made it, whether it's a sack lunch, whether it's dinner out, not at a pagan temple, but dinner out somewhere, whether you liked it or not, thank God for it. Have this idea of gratitude in your heart. Praise God every time the air conditioning comes on, right? Should that be a reminder? Give thanks to God for this luxury, this thing that we have. Uh, Thank God every time water comes out of the faucet. Man, you didn't realize how tenuous that could be, did you? Thank God for running water if you have it. Thank thank God when the coffee brews in the morning. That's how I give thanks to God. Despite the fact that years ago, Dr. Norman Geisler, I was traveling with him, I invited him to my house for coffee, and he said, I don't do drugs. So um, despite that, I enjoy coffee. Thank God for that, along with other things. Thank God. When the pipes burst in your house, thank God that people came to help. Thank God that you had insurance, or thank God that others provided where you were. Just have this idea of gratitude. Praise God for your good health. Praise God for the chemotherapy that's attacking your cancer. Praise God for the hope of heaven when everything else fails. Give thanks. Be grateful for the spouse you have. Or be grateful for the spouse you used to have. Or be grateful for the fact that you don't have a spouse. Banish complaining from your life. Every day, in every way, give thanks. After all, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, that give thanks for everything. For This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Avoid this idol, uh, idolatry of thanklessness and be grateful to God in every single way. Second uh, 
very practical circumstances, gospels. Uh, all scripture is God-breathed. All is valuable for your growth, godliness, and survival. And I'm not saying any more, one scripture is more important than others, but uh, I especially encourage you to read the gospels. Don't neglect the gospels. Why? Well, all of scripture points to Jesus, all of it. I, my, my degree, my, my doctorate's in, in Old Testament is a Hebrew narrative, but and I know even the Old Testament points to Jesus. But the Gospels, what do they do? There you hear Jesus speaking. There you see his power. You feel his compassion. You learn his ways. You witness his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. There Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So don't neglect the Gospels. That's one way to run to Jesus and avoid idolatry. And third, practical thing is gathering gathering it's crucial to join with the people of god and sing his praise hear his word sense his spirit moving in power among us and together we celebrate around the table of the lord the bread and the cup are a strong connection to jesus now frankly in the last year uh, we haven't been able to do communion as frequently now we're relegated to the first sunday of the month and not doing it in a way that i would ideally appreciate but at least we are able to celebrate it and may 2nd is the next time we will and on that sunday we will be in first 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul tells us again how very vital it is for the believer to be prepared and to take that table seriously, as he does here, as he says it here. This is a serious day. On, on that day, we'll take communion, the bread and the cup. We celebrate that we share in the benefits of Christ's sacrificial death. And by his body and blood, all who trust in him are made new. And every time we eat and drink, we remember that we have a Savior who has done everything for us. And it's our reminder to run to Jesus. Take communion at every opportunity opportunity you can it's a vital reminder of our connection to our savior so these are three very practical ways of running from idolatry and running to jesus i don't know what your idols might be i just know how easily we make them and our only escape is jesus he did not escape the horror of the cross so that we might escape sin's penalty by looking to him see jesus overcomes our idolatry with his fidelity. And our trust is in the fidelity of Christ, not in our fidelity to Christ. There's a big difference. He is the faithful one. Run from idolatry. Run to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've provided through Christ, that you have rained down spiritual blessing, poured it out upon us. Lord, may we never use that as an excuse to sin. May we never use that as a, as a means of satisfying ourselves, but may we use that with great confidence to give you praise and honor because you have done all for us through the sacrifice of your Son. We praise you that we serve a risen, living Savior. Help us, Lord, every day to turn from idols and toward Jesus and become more and more like him for your glory and for your honor by your will in Jesus name amen we're going to sing about the greatness of God
benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Ha! Uh-huh.